Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, My guest today is Manaj Shostadian. She graduated with a PhD in biomedical engineering from Monash University in Australia. And uh, since then, she's worked in research and industry, signals, novel recording techniques, and then... uh, you know, we'll get more into the work from there because it's getting a bit technical. Um, it all kind of centers around tinnitus and imaging. So, Arnaz, uh, thank you for coming. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Well, if you would, tell me about your research. Uh, what are you working on currently? Well, uh, as you mentioned, my background's biomedical engineering and my uh, research interest is uh, using different techniques to measure brain activity and extract information about how it uh, how the brain works or how it's impaired in different uh, conditions. And at the moment, I'm working at the Bionics Institute here in Melbourne that was set up around 40 years ago by uh, Professor Graham Clark, who was the inventor of Australia's multi-channel cochlear implant. And a cochlear implant is a device that's uh, used to provide a sense of sound to a person who's deaf. So Bionics Institute uh, has a strong background in hearing research, and I'm working on a condition called tinnitus, as you mentioned, which involves hearing sounds, constant sounds that aren't present externally and can be very debilitating. So what's known about, uh, I I always call it tinnitus. I think I heard it from a commercial from probably 30 years ago, but some people call it tinnitus. What happens in the condition? Like, how does it arise and what do people experience? Well, uh, the experience is uh, hearing a constant sound and uh, the sound differs from person to person when you ask people. So it can be a a humming or a buzzing or even for some people, it sounds like a, a jet engine. So it can be experienced differently. 
But in severe conditions, it's quite prevalent. It affects about 15% of the population. And uh, in severe cases, it can lead to people being unable to work or sleep. It can cause anxiety and uh, depression. And unfortunately, there's no reliable treatment for it. Uh, and one reason for that is there's no way to measure the presence or severity of tinnitus objectively at the moment. And that hinders development of treatments as well. And the measurement is what we're working on specifically at the moment. So to our aim, our sort of big aim is to develop an objective test of tinnitus presence and severity uh, that can be used in a clinic. And a quick question. So when people have tinnitus, uh, they have this, you know, constant ringing or whatever in their ears. Would, would an experiment be to maybe introduce a, another background noise and slowly increase its volume to where the person can hear it and identify it? And then you can then gauge, you know, their level of background tinnitus that they have. That is uh, definitely used at the moment to sort of get a sense of how loud the sound is. Yeah, so that that's one way to, to measure the loudness of the sound that the person experiences. But uh, what we're working on is sort of getting a sense of brain activity uh, that's related to tinnitus. Because even though tinnitus start, usually starts as, a, as some form of damage to the ear, it quickly becomes a more central problem. So different parts of the brain uh, get engaged. So that's well, why we're so, looking at brain activity. Yeah, before we get to the brain activity, what does tinnitus sound like? Are there different versions of it where some people hear like a, a screeching and others a buzzing and others a whining? I mean, or does it always sound the same to people? No, it definitely sounds different to different people. Yes, when you ask people, they... they describe it as a number of different experiences. It can be, as you said, a, a humming, a buzzing, it can be noise-like, or, or it can be a sort of more of a pure tone. And in sort of more severe, annoying cases, it can be a screeching or a jet engine sound. So very uh, people have very different experiences. Yeah, and I know from myself, I don't like loud, sudden noises. It jars me and it agitates me and it just makes me not feel good. So what happens to, like, what, what does it physiologically do to the brain and to the person's, um, you know, psyche if they have it for a period of time? Yes, a, lo a lot of people do say that in, in a lot of people, it does lead to, as I mentioned, you, you know, anxiety or, or even depression or, you know, being unable to sleep. So it does have many other effects other than just hearing the sound and it's it's again different people experience it differently so some people say that the sound is very loud but it doesn't annoy them so they can sort of continue with their life whereas others even though the sound might not be that loud for them they do say that it it annoys them and it stops them from falling asleep and you know makes them anxious so it's um yeah at least to different experiences Okay. And what happens in the brain? You said it starts affecting, I guess, one localized part of the brain and then it spreads. So what part does it affect? What happens clinically? And then what happens when it spreads? What does it do? Yes, it's, it starts usually by some form of damage to the ear. But when it becomes more central and it affects the brain, it 
certainly different. So a lot of research has been done using different brain imaging techniques and they've identified parts of the brain that are involved, that get involved in tinnitus. So um, the auditory parts of the brain, definitely regions that have been identified, but then there's other parts, sort of more frontal regions that are likely to be what's causing the distress associated with tinnitus. So yes, different parts of the brain have been identified and and have been um, associated with the different symptoms. So either the loudness or the distress associated with tinnitus. Again, what uh, what part of their brain is affected? And again, when it does it spread? Is that how you'd characterize it? Or like, why does it seem to affect more areas of the brain over time? And then again, what happens to someone clinically as it does that? Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Right. It's not very clear why it gets different parts of the brain involved, but the auditory parts of the brain, the hearing regions of the brain, definitely have been identified in many studies to show sort of impaired background activity. So even when there, you know, there's no external sound, brain scans show that there's increased background activity in the auditory regions of the brain, which is likely what's causing that tinnitus sound. And then of sort of frontal regions of the brain uh, become involved, which is likely causing the distress that people feel, that some people feel with tinnitus. But exactly why all these brain regions get involved is not very clear. Well, again, what does the person experience? Do they, you know, like, again, when it's localized, do they tell you they have trouble sleeping? Do they get irritated more often? And then when it's not localized, spreads. Sounds kind of like cancer in a way, it metastasizes or and it moves to other areas. Again, what does the person tend to experience that's different. Yeah. So, um, yes, it does definitely get, it gets different parts of the brain involved. So for example, if there's abnormal activity in the frontal regions, it seems to uh, cause more distress in the person. Whereas if someone says, yeah, I hear the sound, the tinnitus sound, but it doesn't really annoy me, then they're likely not to have the frontal regions of the brain involved. Okay. So what are you trying to figure out? Are you trying to understand why it spreads or, you know, is there any cure or treatment for tinnitus? Uh, what's your angle on this? Right. Well, what, what we're trying to do uh, is identify signals from brain regions that can tell us that tinnitus is present. So sort of a diagnostic and then provide a baseline measurement that we can do perform before and after a person receives a treatment to see whether the treatment is actually 
effective and doing something in the brain. So our main aim would be to have an objective test that can tell us whether treatment's working or not. Like what are some of the ones you're proposing you're working on? Well, in terms of treatment, at the moment, there, there is no reliable treatment for tinnitus. So the symptoms are usually managed using psychological support and in some cases, sound enrichment. So sort of playing background sound, but that's not always effective. And it's all really trial and error. So these methods are prescribed to people through trial and error, work in some people, don't work in some, it's not very clear why. And one reason for that is because there's no way to objectively assess the effect of those treatments. So what we're trying to do is develop a test that can be used with, for example, experimental treatments or treatments being developed um, to see whether they're actually doing something in the brain, uh, whether they're, they're yeah, actually working. Now, we haven't started using a specific treatment yet. Uh, so what we're doing at the moment is uh, recording signals from people who have tinnitus and people who don't and identifying signal features which are related to tinnitus and um, how severe it is, whether it's mild tinnitus or a sort of severe tinnitus. And that, that's based on subjective ratings. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, so is there any idea on where, you know, tinnitus comes from? How does, like, what's happened in the brain to cause it? The general understanding, the general consensus is that the the cause starts from some form of damage to the ear. So exposure to loud noise, for example, or even age-related hearing loss or yeah, some form of damage to the ear. But then through the um, sort of auditory pathways to the brain, that seems to engage other parts of the brain as well. All right. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work and to keep tabs as you go on your research journey? Well, the, at the moment, we have some information on our website and we've published some initial findings. Uh, we published that at the end of last year. And since then, when we've been able to collect data in between COVID lockdowns, we've increased our uh, sample size. We've got a larger data set now that we're going through and hoping to publish findings from very soon. Well, very good. Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for having me, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.